Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and I'm here with Dr. George Hahn, System Medical Director for Dermatology at the Mount Sinai Health System, where he is an Assistant Professor of Dermatology. Dr. Hahn is also Chief of Teledermatology at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and a member of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Given his unique expertise, we're here to discuss how the delivery of healthcare has changed since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and what tips he can offer to help make participation in telehealth visits successful. Welcome, Dr. Hahn. Thank you for taking time to join SoundBites. So since the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic and the need for social distancing continues, the delivery of healthcare has had to pivot. Can you speak to the differences between how healthcare is delivered now compared to prior to the pandemic? Thank you for the invitation. And yes, it certainly has been quite a time, hasn't it? So before COVID, it's it's quite interesting. We had been doing telemedicine at our institution for quite some time, but it occupied this sort of lonely corner of our practice where once in a while we'd have a patient where it was more convenient for them to see us through a video visit or a telemedicine visit rather than coming in person. And so we had that opportunity for them. We also had some other projects where we were doing e-consults. So we were able to see patients for primary care providers who had skin concerns and we were able to help them a little faster than having them wait and come see us in person. And we also had a clinic remotely that we ran several hundred miles away. So we had already been doing quite a bit of it, but that was not the norm, I would say. And so what COVID has actually done is it's catalyzed a complete transformation of how we deliver care. And if you look at the numbers before COVID, only about 19% of care, of care providers were doing any kind of telemedicine at all. The numbers in dermatology were actually lower than that. And since COVID, it's completely transformed into the opposite, where a lot of practices are seeing it as a good way to keep in touch and keep providing care for their patients without the risks and the issues of having them come to the office, wait in the waiting room and see us in person. So it's really kind of opened up a lot of eyes to the potential of telemedicine. And I think it's up to us now, as we really get more experience with it as a field and as a country and as a society, to determine how best to implement telemedicine into our normal delivery of care. And what would you say is the overall purpose of telehealth or telemedicine, another term used for this type of connection with a healthcare provider? Are there any advantages or disadvantages? You just mentioned a few benefits. That's a great question. So when thinking about telehealth and telemedicine and the kind of interaction that we can have with patients, for a large degree of things that we normally see, especially for patients who we've already seen in the practice once and have a good baseline and can really discuss with you the changes in in how things are feeling, how the skin is looking, it can be very helpful to be able to have a telehealth visit because those are much quicker and much easier for, for everybody involved, right? So from the patient perspective, you don't have to get to where the office is. You don't have to take off time from work. 
wait in that waiting room, spend extra time and go through that whole process where if it's, especially if it's a relatively straightforward thing, it's something you can check in, get an update, ask some questions like, when should I stop using this medicine? What is the long-term outlook for this? Or if things are not going well, to let your doctor know that it's not going well and how can we change the treatment regimen? It can be very helpful. Certainly, there are some limitations for telemedicine when you think about the quality of images that we can obtain, and especially when you think about video, which can often be compressed. There are some challenges from the dermatologic perspective to getting an adequate diagnosis and really being able to see with great detail what's going on. Your dermatologist has a lot of training in looking for subtle signs, subtle things on the surface of the skin that can really speak to what's going on underneath. And some of those may be missed with a telemedicine encounter. I think, however, it is a really great way to kind of have a fast triage of concern. So we can get within the neighborhood and and get a good idea of what's going on and start a treatment plan. And depending on how that's going, we can always have a follow-up in person or just manage it remotely. So there are different ways that we can really make the technology work for us, which I think is the key. Because thinking about the COVID pandemic, especially a big advantage to this, obviously, is safety. So we're able to keep patients in their homes and be able to deliver care where you need it without subjecting people to having to come into a medical practice. Certainly the disadvantages, of course, are being able to get a good idea of what's going on, having easy access and instantaneous access to important procedures such as biopsying, freezing, or excisions. So those are all things that we can do in person that we can't do clearly over the internet. But I think for a lot of skin concerns, and remembering that dermatology is a very visual field, we can provide a a reasonable diagnosis and management plan through telemedicine. So how is telehealth typically accessed? What technology is used or needed for a successful patient-provider visit? There's a lot of different types of platforms and options out there for telehealth. It's actually quite interesting to see all the different platforms popping up with the methodologies and slight differences between them. I would say the bread and butter of telehealth is the fact that you can have a two-way live conversation with your care provider, your dermatologist, and be able to see them. They're able to see you and have a live conversation in that way. And that really emulates being able to see see somebody in person the best. In terms of requirements for equipment, it really depends on your doctor's office and what they've selected as their platform. Right now, during the COVID pandemic, there's an active waiver in place. So previously, there was a law that stated through the HIPAA Act that you had to have secured communications platforms for both photo and video. And that's to protect patient privacy. Obviously, we don't want these videos of potentially private areas going out to anybody else who shouldn't have access in the same with photographs as well. That has been kind of paused during the pandemic, if only to ensure that people get access to care without having any technical burdens to overcome. So with those technologies, you really just need devices that most households do have. So a smartphone uh, capable of having a video two-way conversation. Some platforms do better on computers or laptops with webcams. Those are a little clunkier in my opinion, and I think we should focus on devices that people really have. But usually it's not a huge technical burden. You may have to download some software or download an application. 
you may have to sign up for a an account with the platform itself but it can be very easy to really get started up with your doctor through this way. And what should a patient expect during a telehealth visit? What questions do you as a dermatologist ask a patient with psoriasis? I think it's important to really consider sending your doctor some photographs before the visit. It's something we've actually been telling all our colleagues in terms of what makes for a good visit. And I'll tell you, the reason is we've, we've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about this. And the thing that we've realized with almost every video platform that we've tried out and used is that you really lose something with the video quality that you can get with an excellent photograph. And so what I usually tell my patients is please take some pictures of your rash and look at the pictures and ask yourself, is that an accurate and adequate representation of the rash? We're looking for pictures that have the right color compared to your skin tone. We're looking for pictures that are in focus and not blurry, in good lighting. So those are all things to think about. And really having those pictures and making them available to your doctor really helps make the visit go much more smoothly. And you get more out of it as well, rather than having to maneuver your camera during the visit and try to find the right angle of capturing something. And then you think about if either party, if their internet connection isn't working well, you've got a very choppy signal. So though simple things such as capturing some images and sending it to your doctor's office is a very helpful thing for a telehealth visit. We've been telling colleagues to do this, but it's something I would actually specifically ask because it, it really saves, saves you time during the visit too, because the accurate representation of your rash is going to be right there in front of the dermatologist. In terms of what we ask patients with psoriasis, I think it's important to think about, number one, we see both patients who are new to us and also as follow-ups with psoriasis through telemedicine. I think clearly the follow-ups are a little easier to manage because we've already seen you in person and have been able to make a good diagnosis. But I would say for the majority of psoriasis patients, the disease presentation is pretty typical and it's something that we can diagnose well even for the first time through telemedicine. And I think we're starting to realize a lot about, a lot more certainly, about the other aspects of psoriasis that we should always be asking, whether it's through telehealth or in person. So things like what symptoms are you experiencing, the itching that a lot of psoriasis patients have. And very important question is about joint pain. And it's something that if you're not asked, I would actually bring up because we find that a lot of patients with psoriasis can end up having psoriatic arthritis. And that is a joint disease that, if untreated, can be debilitating and causes permanent damage. So those are just some of the questions we'd ask. We definitely want to make sure it's the correct diagnosis, see if there's any triggers, any changes in medications, any recent illnesses that could be bringing about, family history of psoriasis. So the, the nice thing, though, is that most of the things that we would ask you over telehealth are the exact same things that we'd ask you in person. So you mentioned having patients take photos is a way to make their telehealth visit more effective. Do you have any other tips for making a telehealth visit more effective? Is there anything that patients need to have available for the appointment ahead of time? We hear a lot of times that patients need to bring a list of all their medicines or in a bag to their in-person appointments. Thank you for bringing that up. And certainly, in addition to the fact that the photographs are very important and helpful for a visit, your past treatment any previous biopsy reports that you can find, those are all helpful, right? 
so that we can understand both what has been tried and what has helped and what has not. And also those pieces of information are often important as we formulate a treatment plan and try to get an approval from the insurance companies for those treatment plans as well. I think it's a little easier because you just have to go to the medicine cabinet and take everything out rather than putting it into a bag and bringing it with you. So certainly what uh, was mentioned about bringing the medications is true here too. So gather up everything that you've tried and see whether you can get some other reports as well. So if there are any pathology reports or any previous treatment courses, those are all important things as well. I would say also, it's important to consider that your video signal is really dependent on the strength of the Wi-Fi signal where you are. We tell patients that they should be on a Wi-Fi signal, such as in their own home or in an office with a high-speed connection, rather than on a cellular signal, which can vary much more, and to be in a well-lit area that's quiet. And it's not always very straightforward. I have done telemedicine visits with patients in the hallways of a what seemed like a busy office building. I've done visits with people in their cars, not driving, not driving, mind you, but in a, start, in a car. But it's really much better when you can be in a quiet place with good lighting and we can really get an idea of what's going on without too many distractions. And would you say that you can adequately treat psoriasis using telehealth? It seems that if someone's on a biologic that requires in-office injections, that can present a challenge. I do think that psoriasis is something that's very amenable to telehealth management. We certainly have a lot of patients who we've started on biologics, we've made the diagnosis of psoriasis, we've sent the patients to a local lab to get some baseline tests and have started biologics through that way. So I don't think that our armamentarium in terms of what we can use to treat psoriasis really changes, whether it's through telehealth or in person. So I think we really can do that. I mean, it's not that often that we see a very bizarre form of psoriasis and we have to do a biopsy and it takes a while to make the diagnosis. We do see that, but for the majority of cases of psoriasis, I think we can make the diagnosis even in a first visit via telehealth. Most dermatologists do feel better seeing the patients in person first. And I will mention that before the COVID pandemic, that was a requirement for telemedicine, I think with a good reason too. But I think in, in the situation we find ourselves in, and also going forward, we really should think about what we need versus what we would like to have, right? And I, so I think for the majority of psoriasis patients, we can really manage very well through telehealth, especially in areas of the country where it takes months to get an appointment and you have to drive hours to get to the doctor's office. So it's something we really can make a positive impact on and help people out. I think for patients on biologics in general, most of the medicines do offer the ability to inject at home. I still have many patients on these medications that do choose to come get an injection in the office just because not loving to stab a needle into themselves, which is certainly understandable. And especially with some of our medications that are less oftenly injected, I think that's very reasonable. In terms of biologics that require an office injection, really there's not many that have that kind of wording or requirement. I think some things to keep in mind are that I'm not aware at this point of any injection that requires being injected in the same doctor's office 
that you you have to go to, right? So the wording of it really is that it has to be injected by a medical professional in even those cases of the medicines that are like that. And in those cases, you don't necessarily have to go to that dermatologist, right? So if there's somebody who's a dermatologic specialist who you have to go see who's some distance away where it's a challenge, your local provider can get that injection without any issue. If you have a family member who's in the medical field, that would be okay. And even for the biologic that requires administration by a healthcare provider, I have been able to get that shipped directly to my patients' homes because they have a loved one or a spouse who is a nurse or medical assistant, and they're able to get that injection at home as well. So for the most part, I think there's a way around it. There's also infusion centers around the country where someone can go in and get an injection too. So I don't think that's an insurmountable challenge, certainly even if your primary dermatologist's office is closed, as some offices remain to do so now. So when would you see a patient in the office versus by telehealth? As I mentioned earlier, I think if we can arrange for it, certainly seeing somebody for the first time in person is probably better. Follow-ups are, are much more effective via telehealth, but that's not an absolute requirement either. I think it's important also to know that even though telehealth is very good, it doesn't necessarily replace seeing somebody in person and and teasing out subtle things, right? So for somebody who's on a good regimen, using topical medicines for quite some time, we might not be able to see thinning of the skin or stretch mark formation through telehealth as well, because these are subtle things, at least at first, as in person. And if we see this in person, we know we got to do something about this. But if you just say, you know, everything seems to be going fine, we take a look and the video quality isn't exactly the best, that might be missed. So I think it's important, even if things are going well, if at all possible, to at least see your dermatologist once a year. I think that's that's certainly reasonable. And in the interim, checkups and, and check-ins through telehealth are, are really great and allows us to have an open line of communication through that time as well. So an example of telehealth includes remote monitoring. Can you provide an example of what remote monitoring is? Sure. So there's a lot of different terminology out there, and it kind of gets a little confusing, right? Because there's telehealth or telemedicine and teledermatology and remote monitoring. I would say, strictly speaking, when we're talking about telehealth, that's really supposed to be that two-way audio-visual communication, such as you seeing your family on FaceTime or through a video conferencing application. When you talk about remote monitoring, there's several other types of check-ins and and e-check-ins and virtual check-ins where it doesn't require that two-way video monitoring. So you may send your doctor a note over email or over a secure chat application with a photo and say, hey, things are going well or things are not going so well and this is my problem or this is how I'm looking right now. And then the doctor may either reply to you through that chat or email, or they may call you and talk about it. So that's where this this world of remote monitoring and virtual check-ins comes in. So these kinds of hybrid approaches towards getting you access to healthcare. And I think these are all good things to think about as part of the ways that we interact. Certainly, when you're having an issue with either your skin or with one of the medications you're using, you don't necessarily want to wait until the next time there's an opening to see that provider. 
you want to get some answers, and you want to give as much information to get you a good resolution as possible. So that's where these kinds of hybrid approaches come in. Certainly, there are also phone calls. So we can, if we get a call from a patient, we return it and, and talk to them. But sometimes it does help having those photographs and having a little more story behind it. And that's where these other kinds of telemedicine, such as remote monitoring, come in. And that all depends on what your doctor's office will be offering and what they're participating, the technology platform they're using. Those all come into play as well. So what if someone's taking a medication that requires more frequent lab monitoring? What suggestions can you offer for that circumstance? Can they go to their family practice doctor for such lab work? There are medications that we do have to check your laboratory test more often. For psoriasis, if we have somebody on, for example, cyclosporin, that's something that we do have to keep an eye on the lab work. Now, for most of the providers, I would find that there, there should be a way to get you either a virtual script or to send or fax in a requisition to a local laboratory so that you don't necessarily have to come into the office just for the lab work. And if we think about it, technically, that's a rather silly reason to have to come into the office anyways, right? So I, I find that being able to do that, and, and even in New York City, it can take quite some time to just get a few miles away. So I'm able to offer my patients the ability to go to a lab collection center within a few blocks of their home. They're able to get the lab tests. I get the results directly back, either in my electronic medical record or fax to me. And then I have those in front of me when we do the telehealth visit. It's a really effective way to kind of bridge that gap and to really provide more convenience for people. What about insurance coverage for telehealth visits? Since visits may still be occurring virtually, has insurance coverage changed to accommodate the current need? And if so, what type of services are covered? Thankfully, I find that most insurance providers, including Medicare and Medicaid, have stepped up to the plate in providing good coverage for telehealth visits during this pandemic. There have been a large number of waivers issued by CMS, the governing body of Medicare, allowing both telehealth visits to occur with as little burden and as little barriers as possible, even covering phone calls with your provider if you're not able to have a smart device or a computer that's able to conduct a video visit, you should be able to request a phone call with your provider. So I think the, the coverage has been good. A lot of the commercial carriers have actually gone ahead and waived the copays for telehealth visits, both COVID-related and non-COVID-related, by the way. So that's another thing to think about, really thinking about anything that can lower the barrier and keep people healthy and safe at home. We're trying to do those things. And, and for the most part, the insurance companies have done a pretty good job over the course of the pandemic to really emulate that as well. In terms of types of services, I mentioned earlier that previously only follow-up visits were allowed to be conducted through telehealth. But now with the waivers in place, both new visits and established visits are able to be covered. So you're able to see a new provider for a new issue or for an ongoing issue that you just want to get around the treating, or you could see somebody that already was seeing you. I will mention at this point that the insurance coverage for telehealth visits, maybe somewhat surprisingly, was actually already pretty good before the pandemic for commercial mm -hmm. plans. So for most of our patients with commercial insurance, the coverage for telehealth was already existing. 
just not that many people used it and not that many providers offered it. But I, I don't see that changing in the future. So if telehealth and you've had a telehealth visit, a video visit that has gone well, and you like the convenience and the ability to see your provider without having to wait forever or travel long distances, I think that's something that patients should ask for. So you mentioned barriers. If someone doesn't have insurance, what are the options for receiving health care? Yes, it's, it's a really tough situation right now. And I personally have patients who have lost their jobs and lost their insurance. It's a really tough situation. We've, we've actually, in our institution, gone ahead and put a cap on the out-of-pocket costs for telemedicine visits so that people don't get charged the rather high rates of, of doctor's visits these days. I think there's a number of also telehealth providers online that you can certainly search for that do have dermatologic specialists that will cap the amount that your out-of-pocket cost is at, at a certain point. And it's usually somewhere between 50 to $100. And so while that's not necessarily nothing, it is less than what a normal medical visit might cost. And it does get you access to a board-certified dermatologist. So I think it's important to know that even if you don't have insurance, there, there probably are some options that you can interact with at, at hopefully a reasonable cost. Do you feel telehealth is here to stay? What do you see as the future of telehealth? I certainly think that telehealth is here to stay. I see it as a great opportunity for us to go out and really provide care where we have not been able to before. And I'm speaking to that, thinking about our specialty in dermatology. There's not a huge number of dermatologists through the country thinking about how many patients are out there. And you go across the country and you see a lot of areas where just, there's no access to dermatology or even if there is access, it takes quite a long time to get in to see somebody. And that itself is quite a burden because I barely know what I'm doing next week to ask me to commit to an appointment eight months from now. I don't think that's very realistic either. And so if something comes up in the interim and I miss that, well, guess what? I'm at the bottom of the queue again and I have to wait another eight months. And so that's something that we've actually made an impact on. I mentioned earlier that we have a clinic that we're seeing patients hundreds of miles away. And it was exactly for that reason. This is an area where there's really, really not enough access to dermatologic care. And we were able to go in and turn that around almost overnight. So I would think of telehealth, the most powerful way that we can use it is to really increase our access for patients who need our care to get it. And especially for something like psoriasis, where I mentioned earlier, we can see you we can get a good history, we can talk about it, we can talk about how it impacts your life, and we can come up with a really good, strong treatment plan to help long-term. I think it's something we absolutely should be doing. So I see and, and hope the future of telehealth is really going to be centered around providing access to people who need it, in addition to the benefits of providing convenience and the ability to see them safely during this time as well. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share about telehealth with our listeners? Yes, I think we're still feeling our way out as a specialty, as dermatologists. We're still trying to figure out what the best way is of providing telehealth and teledermatology to patients is. If you've had a frustrating interaction through telehealth, and I would say I will be the first to admit that some of my patients will be in that same category, just know that we're working on it. And I think 
the next generation of platforms that are designed for dermatology visits over telehealth, designed to help us get good images, get good diagnoses, and be able to share with you both treatment plans as well as prescriptions, as well as kind of streamlining that process from us deciding on a treatment plan to you getting that medicine in your hands. And I'm speaking to the fact that a lot of times we prescribe things for our patients that are either you know, not covered, we have to jump through hoops to get them, or the copays are really not reasonable. There are things coming that will impact all of these things. So just hold out hope and have some patience with us. I think as a society, we're all adapting to a lot. And as medical providers, as dermatologists, we're doing the same thing. And I do think better things are coming on the way. So hopefully you'll see the fruits of that labor soon and be able to get access to, to great care through telemedicine. Thank you so much, Dr. Hum, for ending this podcast on such a message of hope for the future of teledermatology. I look forward to seeing what the future holds for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you are in need of tips for improving your telehealth visit, or if you need help in finding telehealth services, contact the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center at 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email at education at psoriasis.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.